everyone. This is Chris and Sandy Bent with the Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing guests. And today, like I say on every episode, we've got a great show for you today. Today, we've got Karen Kingsbury coming on. She's done some great things out there. Um, Karen Kingsbury is number one New York Times bestselling novelist, is America's favorite inspirational storyteller with more than 25 million copies of her award-winning books in print. Her last dozen titles has top best-selling lists, and many of her novels are under development for major motion pictures. Needless to say, she knows what she's doing, and she's done some great things, and we're very excited to have her on our show today. So, Karen, are you here? Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing oh, today you. on this crazy world day? <laughs> I know it, right? <laughs> well, it's a beautiful fall day. Here in Nashville, we are um, having perfect weather. So, you know, you look out the window and you go, you know what, it's not that bad. God is still in control. <laughs> yep. And yeah, next year we're yeah. planning on moving out to Nashville. Yes. We're You're moving out this way. Okay, great. <clears throat> yeah, we're based out of Savannah, Georgia right now. Yes. That's a pretty area too. Yeah, we love it here. But, you know, when we've got a 8-year-old and a 19-month-old. And, you know, when you look at, you know, opportunities and stuff. And, you know, of course, with our show growing and a lot of it's music, uh, we're like, you know, um, Nashville just makes the best sense for the whole family. Yeah, well, that's how we felt. Nine years ago, we moved here from mm-hmm. the Northwest, and we love it. Oh, well. <laughs> so tell everybody a little bit of who you are, where you're originally from, and kind of about your backstory a little bit, because I always like to get to know the guests, not just what they do. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, you know, I um, was born actually in Virginia, but grew up really in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I always loved writing. And so my writing path then, you know, we moved to California when I was 10 and I was writing for the, you know, creative magazine. And then in high school, I wrote for the newspaper, Um, ended up going to Cal State University Northridge and I got my degree in journalism. And, you know, during that time, I just knew that I wanted to be a novelist one day. Oh, wow. And I decided that, you know, my, my best my best choice would be to get that degree in journalism and start that way. So I'd at least have a plan B. And yeah. I wrote sports for the Los Angeles Times, of all things. And then I wrote, <laughs> moved my way. By the time I was in my, like, mid to late 20s, I was writing for the front page of the L.A. Daily News for the Sunday edition, doing kind of like the wrap-up emotional story and they would kind of say well if it needs tears put karen kingsbury on it and uh, that kind of was my reputation <laughs> um, still true still true people always want a box of tissues with my books but uh so yeah i, I wrote true crime books out of my time mm-hmm. we had been really praying for a way that i could be home with our firstborn child and just before my maternity leave was up i got word from an agent that had pursued me that this the story I had written for People Magazine about this sad murder story, um, mm-hmm. that it was it had gotten into a bidding war, and, and there was a publisher oh, wow. who wanted me to write the book. So I wrote uh, four true crime books, and then after that I couldn't do another dark story at all. I just had to be, I had to oh, turn wow. to the light. Um, and I wrote my mm-hmm. first novel, Where Yesterday Lives, which was, I wrote it in like 10 days, and I didn't have a contract. But within a year, the um, publisher stepped forward and wanted that book, and that was the beginning of a journey of writing. Goodness, I mean, I think I've written more than 50 <laughs> novels now. 
Uh, So I'm still writing that kind of sort of, you know, inspirational fiction that brings hope and encouragement to people, even when the story doesn't have a happy ending. There's still hope. And I'm still doing that that today. We sure do. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, I remember an old saying, and I'll never forgot this, where where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. Mm, That's so true. What would it be? It's meaningless. You know, yeah, and personally, too, my, my personal story. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The Lord, Lord's been at the center of this whole story of mine. So that was like the writing part, but I met the love of my life in 1986. We, um, he was on a quest to try to, like, figure out a faith in God without being tied to a religion. He was trying to find out, like, a uh-huh. non-denominational way. And so he yeah. was reading the Bible, and I thought he was so weird because he was reading the Bible. <laughs> But um, <laughs> we went through some kind of tumultuous uh, times early on with that. But then eventually um, I came to be just like I, I, in love with Scripture. And it's still that way today. So we've been married 32 years. We have six children who are all grown. Our youngest now is just, you know, he's 23. So three of our kids we adopted from Haiti in uh, the oh, year wow. 2001. And even now, we have a One Chance Foundation that is our family foundation. We give grants to people who are looking to adopt. So we've that's kind of come full circle and still very, very close with my family. And uh, now we have a couple of little baby grandboys, too. We have three grandsons. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell God weaving through there. Because, like, even for Sandy and I, you know, we met back in 2002 online, of all places, Um you know, and back yes. and back then, you know, it was taboo back in 2002. I always say it was because you know, because mm-hmm. it's not like it is now, where you got all kinds of people meeting. And I always kind of joke and say, you know, really, it was safer when we met because even the criminals and crooks didn't understand the internet back then. <laughs> you know, but, but but it was a god thing we really felt because we we met on February 2nd, talked on the phone for the first time February 4th. Then we set a wedding date February 18th, and we met in person March 4th because she was in Kentucky. I was in Georgia. So we actually was meeting in person as wow. people we were going to marry, and we just crossed yeah, our 18th incredible. wedding anniversary. Well, congratulations on that. That's amazing. What a great story. And people oh, always tell us it's crazy. I lost friendships over this marriage because they were like, oh, anybody that stupid, <laughs> I can't be <laughs> friends with. And I'm like, you just don't know. God is here. We know it. We just know it. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing when you feel his leading because it's like, well, I'm in the I'm in the passenger seat, so I'm going to go ahead and take this ride, and I'm pretty positive he's going to take us to a good place. Exactly, because you know sometimes exactly. you, yeah. you, you you see these bumper stickers that say God is my co-pilot, and I always kind of joke say I don't want him to be my co-pilot. <laughs> I want him to take be my over pilot. the whole thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So at what age – now, I know you've always liked to write, <clears throat> and I always ask artists this, and I think it's an important question too. Uh, what was the moment where you realized this actually could be a career for you? Was, did you always know, or was there a moment that happened to where you realized that this was bigger than you thought? Well, I'll tell you, I had an amazing professor who put things into perspective. It's, um, I was – before I'd really – I mean, I believed in God, but I wasn't my, – my life was not – um, being navigated, uh, he was not the pilot yet in my life, and I was a journal. I was a journalism major at in my you know my university because I knew it was an easy degree for me. But I had kind of switched. I'd been like, okay, I've been writing books, stapling pages together, writing journals, like filling up 
poetry pads like since I was five. So now mm-hmm. that I'm 20, I know mm-hmm. more, and I'm going to want to be a lawyer, I decided. And I was oh, just well. kind of finished with writing. So I took a Journalism 100 class to kind of like, you know, have an easy English credit, really. <clears throat> and at the end of the class, and this is a big, like, you know, kind of an auditorium class. There's like 500 kids in this room, a couple different professors mm-hmm. up front. One of the professors, Bob Scheibel, he steps up and he says, by the way, at the end of class, I need Karen Kingsbury to come up to the front of the room. I need to talk to you. And I'm like, <laughs> we have turned in just one story, you know. So I'm uh-huh. like, well, what did I do? How did I <laughs> mess this up so badly? And so I um, waited, bell rings, I go up, you know, trepidation, and I look at this gruff former journalist who's just like grizzly personality. And I said, yes, sir, I'm Karen Kingsbury. And he said, you know, like literally he lowers his little glasses down to the end of his nose, looks at me. He said, Karen, two things. First, you're never going to stop writing. And second, you're on staff. So meet me in my classroom tomorrow. I want to oh, give you wow. a badge because you're going to be our newest reporter. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. It's like I never looked back. I, I was like the days of wanting to be a lawyer disappeared, you know, like fog on a sunny day. And I was going to be a, a writer. And I, I knew that I could be a journalist. That would be something I could make a living at. But mm-hmm. my number one dream mm-hmm. always was and re- kind of resurfaced again to be to be writing novels. I definitely love that story because again, you definitely see God there too. Because you know, what if He didn't speak up and you know when He read what you wrote? What if He didn't do that? Your whole life exactly. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It it was you know, like I say, you hit you hit twenty and you think you have all these answers, and Uh, it was just like, yes, sir. Like yes, sir. I just I joined the staff and began writing for the newspaper I you know before it was just like like the rest of the story was just kind of fell into place and I have Did no you? doubt that and I've told him since then we've set, we've stayed mm. in touch I'll send him books he's like you know an, a much older man now and I've told him like God used you Bob he used you to wow. say those things to me to get me right back into line where I was supposed to be yeah because that God has a way of doing that where you start to come off the edge a little bit and all of a sudden, people will come around you and say something. You're like, I think that's God, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, exactly. as, as they say, the rest is history with, with you. you. There's no doubt when you, look, when you look back. But when he first did that and you started on that staff, was it everything you thought, thought it was? Or was it harder than you thought? Because here's where I'm going with this. As you know, there's a lot of aspiring <laughs> writers out there. And they're trying to get their big break, and they're writing and writing and writing. But a lot of people, they see like um, the big authors like you, like John Maxwell, and they see the glory, and they, and they just think it's all sunshine and roses. And me and you both know that that's not because there's a – you know they don't see the grind, the sacrifices, the tears, the struggles that it takes to get to your level. And I always like to talk about that side on the show because I think it's so important that people know – the whole truth of what it takes to be an aspiring author or aspiring speaker or inspiring artist. doesn't matter what it is. Um, so if you want right. to talk about that side of it, you know, what are some of the sacrifices you've had to make through the years? Well, you know, early on it was pretty, it was pretty easy. Like I got kind of in this pattern of thinking it is actually pretty easy. Like, you know, getting <laughs> that, getting the position on the staff paper and then getting my internship at the LA Times. And just, it felt like every door was opening. And the four true crime books were fairly 
you know, I had never read a true crime book and somehow, you know, I was able to tell, I was, I was born to tell stories. And so telling those yeah. stories was pretty easy. But when I wrote that first novel, Where Yesterday Lives, everything mm. came to a halt. Like my oh, publisher wow. was writing, you know, they didn't want a Christian fiction novel. It wasn't even a genre back then. So mm. I had nowhere to send that book, no one who wanted to publish it. And I had a friend who said, you ought to consider sending it to a Christian publisher. But I was pretty <laughs> arrogant about that. I thought, oh, Christian fiction is like secondary fiction, like second rate. And uh-huh. no, I don't want to do that. So I kept getting rejection letters. Mm. And um, and finally, I decided to send it to this, you know, to Multnomah, this Christian publisher. And I rem- I wrote down the dates. So we didn't have the Internet. You know, this is before email. But I'm like <laughs> literally mailing a manuscript to them. And then I'm calling them at their number and calling literally or reaching out to them several times a week. And it took a whole year before somebody wow. at that publisher had time to read that book. Mm-hmm. I never gave up. But there were times in the midst of that, like we, you know, my husband was a teacher and a coach, and I was like, maybe I need to go back to waiting tables because I'm not making any money, and I don't want to write true crime anymore. So mm. I just kept trusting God that there was a, you know, you it, only He knows if He has this, you know, writing, for instance, writing books. Only God would know if that was going to be what my future would hold. But I didn't yeah. want to give up until He shut the door. So until I got a exactly. no from that publisher, I was going to just keep on trying. And so I did, and finally it took a year, and I think God just used that year to humble me and to shape mm-hmm. me to understand oh, yeah. that there's no, you know, no publicist, no publisher, no marketing person will will take you to the next level. Only God can do that. And I love this story because, you know, again, a lot of people, they, they see the big authors, and they're like, oh, you know, and, and I've seen people on Facebook talk about, you know, if it's God's will, it'll just fall in place. And I, I'm just one of them people that don't believe that. You know, I think that you have to go through a pruning phase. I mean, if that was true, everybody in the Bible wouldn't be in the Bible because look at David mm-hmm. and Joseph yeah. went 10 and 10 and 15 years where they, they were given the vision. And, it didn't, and they weren't walking in that vision for 10 years and 15 years. And I think people forget that. That's why I always like to bring this side out. Because I think people forget that, that when you're in God's calling, <clears throat> there might be some beginning things that fall in place like it did with you. But you're going to run into that point where it feels like all doors are shutting. And that's so that you can grow, so that now God can move you to that next level, I think. Absolutely. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And, you know, it's, it's sure. Then I got my first book contract, but six books in six books. And I was still be below minimum wage on what I was wow. making as an author. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I remember just thinking, you know, Lord, I know these books. I know the masses would love these. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to sit, I have to yeah. wait. I have to wait on you. And I mean, I, I struggled in the midst of some of that where I thought, oh, maybe I do need just a different publicist or maybe if I could get a different publisher, you know, something. But it, God just kept, he just kept reminding me over and over, this is going to be my timing and it's mm-hmm. for my glory. So just sit mm-hmm. back, obey, write the stories I'm giving you to do and enjoy the days because it'll get busier and it'll get bigger It'll get bigger than you even know. I used to hear God say that, but oh, just wow. enjoy this season because, like, I was raising mm-hmm. little kids. And mm-hmm. good that I wasn't being called out to the Today Show because I could be at their soccer games. You know, so he had a plan <laughs> for the whole thing, and, and wow, how beautiful to trust him. 
Oh, and and we totally get where you're coming from because, you know, when a lot of people see our show, and we've done 243 interviews, or you're 244 for the year, and as we've done our show, you know, it looks like all of a sudden we have people like you on. Yesterday we had um, Chris Widener, a big motivational speaker, on. We And then tomorrow we've got Allie Brooke and other, and they think, oh, all this happened this year. And a lot of people yeah. don't realize that the vision, the dream happened back in 2013-14 era where we launched something mm-hmm. within music and it, and then we ended up shutting it down, but we made a lot of contacts back then and we kept those contacts and we kept making more within the entertainment industry and all that. So although it looks like we're a nine month, almost success, even though there's no money coming in yet, that'll come down the road. <laughs> That's a whole other sure. story. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. but <laughs> although it looks like on the surface, we're a big success because of who we're having on. They don't realize this has been like a seven year journey for us. Hmm. Always looks like it's overnight, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's that old saying that uh, you know, the overnight success is always ten years. Exactly, <laughs> so true. And another another area that God really worked with patience for me and taught me, and is still mm-hmm. teaching me, is my books about the Baxters. So truly, madly, deeply, oh, wow. my new book, you know, is a standalone book, but it involves the Baxter family. Because mm-hmm. Tommy Baxter now, he's 18, and he's in love for the first time and wants to be a police officer, which, you know, mm-hmm. sort of starts this cascade of fear in his family, especially with his mother, and causes division with his parents. And so there's all this going on, and it's really a story of choosing faith over fear. But when I look at the Baxters, so we we have been in the back in the, kind of like in the, you know, behind the scenes working on um, Roma Downey has been with MGM Studios filming 36 episodes of the Baxters already are done, edited in the can. And she had wanted to use those for her streaming service, but this is just a really Mm -hmm. competitive time for a new streaming service. So now she's taking them to market. She's taking them to all the big streaming services to the networks. And we're going to know very soon in the next few weeks where the Baxters will be airing and when, and I have been waiting on this for years. I mean, I'm telling you, Chris and Sandy, it has been such a wait (laughs) But I'm I'm at the place where now I've I've released it, and so mm-hmm. when it happens and when it happens big, I believe it'll be big. I can just sort of I can my applause will be for God alone. That is mm-hmm. all. And, and 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 you know and like being talking about God and the glory, I've got people that will private message us. How are you getting some of these people on your show? And I'm like. I can't answer that. That's God doing, you know. <laughs> he, you know, mm-hmm. I, I believe that when when you, when stuff like what's happened to Sandy and I this year, um, I believe that it's so much has happened in a, such a short time. I can only give God the credit. I mean, there's just no way that we produce this. <laughs> you, exactly right, and it's so fun. And you can relax then, and you go, you know, um, I never was in control of this, so I'm be excited that he'll take it to the next place. Exactly. Yes. So um, let's talk about a few moments. You know, we talked about the sacrifice side of being an author and, and all that. Let's talk about the other side, the glory side that everybody sees. You know, what are some moments where you look back and like, wow, that happened? But let's start with the moment, the first moment that your book got turned into a movie. What was that moment and what was the book? It was really one of my older novels called Like Dandelion Dust, and Uh it was made into a feature film starring Mira Servino and Barry Pepper, so two huge actors who did a phenomenal job. 
And, uh, it, you know, I remember getting the screening done. It, they came to my house. We lived in the Northwest back then. And the producers and the whole team sort of showed up at my house to do kind of a, like a preview. It wasn't really a premiere, but like a preview. And I yeah. just remember just these, like, quiet tears just sort of coming down my face as I watched <laughs> because it was so surreal. And I'm really thankful my dad was one of my um, his biggest supporters. He would always say to me things like, you know, Karen, one day everyone is going to know your work. And he would say, someone's got to be the next best-selling author, and I think it's going to be you, Karen. So my dad no, uh, was alive to see that moment. He was there in the room, and I just kind of kept looking over at him and thinking that, you know, what that moment would feel like as a parent, knowing yeah. that you had believed in your child since they were five and in their gift to write, and now you're watching their first book be a movie. And that was just it was so surreal, you know, just a beautiful moment. So what are a few other moments that, you know, that really mean something to you? That, I mean, I'm sure you've got thousand moments that were amazing, that, that, that's been all the glory of God. But what are a few other moments where you just look back and they just stand out? Well, you know, working now for Simon & Schuster, it's one of the obviously biggest publishers in the world. Um, mm-hmm. My dad, as I told you, you know, he was such a, such a fan and believed he would see the day when my books were hitting number one New York <laughs> Times and that kind of thing. But in 2007, my dad had a massive heart attack, and we had about six more weeks with him. It was a story full of miracles and even oh, an wow. angel encounter. But, um, but he, li- you know, he lived another six weeks. He said everything we wanted to say, and then he went home to heaven. And mm-hmm. after he passed, we began to hear his favorite song. His favorite song was Rod Stewart's. Oh, wow. Have I told you lately that I love you? And he had Um, dedicated that song to us. Like it was his song for us. So whenever, mm -hmm. I mean, whenever my dad would hear it, he'd kind of like wink and look over at us. And now that he was gone, we began to hear that song at the craziest times, like pulling out of the parking lot for Austin's first home run when Papa wasn't there to see it. And we pull out of the parking lot and first song that comes on the radio, Rod Stewart's Have I Told You Lately That I Love You. Just kind of an amazing, you know, we, in the most amazing way. And you, know, you, may, you may have something like that or where maybe mm-hmm. it's the bird that lights on the fence or the clouds in a certain shape. But it's like it's a miracle yeah. moment. And I don't yeah. always get it, but I'll mm-hmm. take it, you know. So then, you know, this began to continue to happen. And we went to the beach. We went to the Bahamas, took the whole family, took time in the lobby getting checked in. Whatnot. We finally get up to the, the rooms. We had a few adjoining rooms. And in the big room, there was a balcony. So we all went out on the balcony we're looking down, mm-hmm. looking around, just marveling and wishing my dad were there. And then wow. down on the patio, um, the Bahamian band begins to play Rod Stewart's Have oh. I Told You Lately That I Love You. Oh, wow. And I mean, Chris and Sandy, I am looking to my right and left going, thank you, Lord, that I have witnesses because I make things up for a living, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> it was really happening. Yeah. So then, you know few years later, and I'm going to New York City, they've invited me to Simon & Schuster, to the main offices in downtown and near the Rockefeller Center, and they want to celebrate that my books are doing so well. And it was kind of one of those, like, stop, take a breath, and realize what God has done and where Mm -hmm. this has gone. And it was like this huge celebration moment. I went to New York with my daughter, Kelsey, her husband, Kyle. They both work for me as my design team. So they were not up in the meeting, but they were out checking out some of the sites. And I'm up in this meeting. And the publisher, you know, Simon & Schuster, and they're telling me, we love your work. We just see it getting bigger and bigger. And it was just every word 
all I could think was, oh, I wish my dad were here. Like, I wish he could know this. I wish I could call heaven and let him know that, you know, he saw, he saw this happening. So I go down mm-hmm. to the lobby after the, after the event was over, and one of the CEOs um, had told me, you know, have you ever been to Highline Park, she said. And I said, no, I haven't. She said, it's lower Manhattan, down past the financial district. It's an old Mm. railway that's built above the city. And now it's a garden. And you can walk along and see the Hudson River. And it's just lovely. So I said, great. You know, we'll keep that in mind. So anyway, go down into the lobby. And in the gate and the glass cases that are around the lobby, there's my book. Because I'm the visiting author. It's the cover of the book and then the back of the book, which was my face. So the cover, my face, a lot of my face in the lobby. And this security guard sees me, and he sees the books, and he looks back at me. He goes, hey, that's you. I said, yeah, it is. And he kind of, like, crossed his arms like a proud dad, and he said, well, look (laughs) at that. You made it. He goes, you made it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, it was just exactly what I knew my dad would say. And it was like this this beautiful moment. But we go, I don't leave. And, you know, this is, you know, this is Avenue of the Americas. It's loud. I'm not going to hear the Rod Stewart song, surely. Um, so I go out on the on the busy road there, and the cab pulls up with Kelsey and Kyle in it, and I get in, and I tell them the meeting was a huge success, but that I'm really missing Papa. So, you know, they held my hand, and we just kind of had that moment. And I told them about the Highline part. And so mm-hmm. they said, yeah, I mean, let's go. Let's go down and take a look. So we, we got sidetracked by a, a boutique here and a hamburger there or whatever, and we're finally up. On the High Line, we walk up the stairs. It's just, you know, breathtaking views of the river. So I'm taking a picture now of Kelsey and Kyle, and then Kyle takes one of me and Kelsey. And then we're trying to do that selfie, but with that old-fashioned device called a camera where, you know, it doesn't text or anything, and you you have to, you know, guess where where your head's in the frame. And as we're trying to do that, this gentleman and this woman walk by, and they stop, and they say, hey, you know, we'll take that. You know, the man says, I'll take that for you. And so, you know, we said, thank you. That's so kind, like New York City, you know. So Kelsey yeah. you know, shows him how to use the camera, and he takes the picture, and he looks at it, and he goes, wow, this is really beautiful. Like, he, he kind of takes a moment, you know, and then he gives the camera mm-hmm. back to Kelsey, and he and the woman start walking. Kelsey grabs my arm. She says, Mom, do you know who that was? And I looked back at the man, and I said, kind of an old hipster, maybe, from New York? I don't know. She said, Mom, that is Rod Stewart. Oh, what? And I said, oh, what? No. I, go, I said, you're kidding. And she said, no, I'm serious. She said, when I handed him the camera, he said, I'm usually on the other mm-hmm. side of this thing, but this will be fun. <laughs> so now I didn't want to look like totally crazy, but I began, like, running after this man. And I said, sir, <laughs> sir. You know, he turns around, and he looks at me, and he says, yes, like, I'm sorry, can I, can I help you? And I said, you just took our picture. And I think he thought I was having like an episode or something. And um, so I reached him. Like, he puts his, his hand on my arm and I put my hand on his. And I said, sure, are you Rod Stewart? And he kind of smiles and nods. He goes, yes, I am. I'm in town doing my book tour. And I said, can I tell you about my dad? I told him about my dad and how he loved the song. You know, and mm-hmm. I told you lately that I love you. We even had that engraved on my dad's tombstone at that point. So Rod mm-hmm. Stewart puts his hands together like a praying posture, and he raises them to heaven. And he looks at me, mm-hmm. he says, you will never know how much I needed to hear that story today. <laughs> and then, oh, on the day that I'm amazing. missing my dad, Rod Stewart mm-hmm. says, can I give you a hug? And I said, yes. So he gives me a hug. And, again, I'm looking around like, so glad I have witnesses. And um, 
And Kelsey and Kyle and I sat down on a bench after he left, and we like, like, what are the odds of that? Like, in the same hour that I'm missing my dad, not only do I, you know, not a, the, the, yeah, the singer of the song. That story. You know what I mean? Like, and so later on, I told <clears> that story on the Today Show, uh-huh. and they said, well, we are going to need to get Rod Stewart because you know it could have just been an old hipster. So um, they were able to reach him. He was on the show, and he said, yes. I mean, he said, I'll never forget that day. I desperately needed to know um, what she said. I needed to hear that. And now I have her books. So, like, the full circle of all of that, again, in my career, when I look at, like, moments that stand out, that moment when I knew I had made it, that, that God had taken me to the place I had dreamed of going, and that God would give us that miracle moment with Rod Stewart, I'll never forget that. That is amazing. And I love that this whole is. family family aspect. And, you know, our show we can kind of consider a family affair where we have our little eight-year-old ask one question. He's, we, we consider him a third co-host. So Sandy's going to get yes. him on real quick. <laughs> I'll go get him. And, you know, one day when our 19-month-old daughter gets older, she'll be plugged into the show too because we are a family affair. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Because you know, everything we do, we try to involve the family no matter what. You know, Sandy and I have been a 24-7 couple for the whole marriage that we've been. And so this is all we know, you know, is each other. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> now, granted, um, she did go through a little struggle at the beginning of our marriage because I end up – I've had 19 years of addictions until God healed me 13 years ago. But um, or almost 13 years ago, December 26. <clears throat> but the first five years of our marriage was really hectic on her because of those addictions. But you know, she never nagged me. She never put me down. She never went anything against me, as in in a human nature. She always uplifted me. Was my cheerleader. She did everything. She she as I tell people, she loved me through the addictions because I really believe I wouldn't be alive. Like some people will tell us when they hear our story that she allowed me to walk over her. And I'm like, no, no, that's not exactly what happened. She allowed me to experience God's pure love through her. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, and that's really beautiful. Because <clears throat> I wouldn't be alive. I really believe I would not be alive. And December, and because of her patience, because of her allowing God to use her as a vessel to help heal me, I really believe that we were brought together. And, and remember, I told you our story at the beginning where we how we met and all that, we would have never met if it weren't for the internet and all that. So I really believe that God brought us together to help heal me through those addictions. Mm. I just was, I, I was just that. stubborn, you know, I was just stubborn those first five years and went and listened and, you know, and all that, but finally come to, and December 26th will be five years, I mean, 13 years sober. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. You know, those are the <clears throat> kinds of things I love writing about. And even mm-hmm. in books that I've done just recently, you know, there's been stories of uh, storylines with people suffering from addiction and knowing that the people in your life are, they don't have a strong enough voice to make you change. The only voice that will lead you to sobriety and to help and healing is the voice of God. Yep. And Amen. I've got Christopher here now. He's ready with his question. Here he is. Okay. Hi, what's your favorite food? Are you wanting to know what my favorite food is? Yes. Okay, that's a great question. Well, my favorite food, um, my favorite foods that I like the taste of are things like chocolate cake and brownies, but I don't eat those things because they wouldn't make me feel good or they wouldn't make me healthy. 
So my very yeah. favorite food is really scrambled eggs. Mm. Do you and like scrambled eggs? Uh, pizza. Yeah, he loves pizza. And, and, and eggs. Yeah, he loves eggs, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. My, my <laughs> boys would all agree with you. They love pizza. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, hey, okay, he thank loves you, honey. Little, <laughs> he loves it. It's funny because uh, he, he knows the patterns and use and, and yeah. and all that, and he talks about the pizza part. So usually people don't ask him a question outside of that. So he, he was like a little lost there for a second. Well, I have yeah, having six loves- kids. You learn to ask quit, ask kids a lot of questions because they're very entertaining. Children are the best. <laughs> yeah. They are. And, Absolutely. And, and, In fact, and you know, speaking about, of so, children, yeah, yeah. I was going to say speaking of children, the fun thing for readers who've been reading about the Baxter family They've mm-hmm. watched mm-hmm. Tommy Baxter grow up. So even oh, well. though you can start with Truly Madly Deeply, it's a standalone book. But yeah. if you've been reading about yeah. the Baxters, the, when you see this first chapter and you realize that Tommy Baxter is 18 now, he's all grown up, and he's in mm-hmm. love for the first time. And, um, you know, he, his family thinks he's going to be a doctor or a lawyer, like some of his mm-hmm. family members. And he's, he's okay with that. But then he goes, he takes this trip to Ground Zero for the anniversary of 9-11, mm-hmm. and his grandfather on his mother's mm-hmm. side was a businessman, and, she, and he was killed in the uh, terrorist attacks of 9-11. So he goes back to remember this grandfather he never met, and he has a conversation with a police officer, and in that one conversation, kind of like me with the professor, Tommy yeah, well. decides he wants to be a police officer. And I really feel honored. Like, I wrote this book a year ago, and who would have mm-hmm. known that a book that is largely about police work and it's mm-hmm. about fear and about mm-hmm. the commitment to lay down your life to help others. Um, I feel so honored that God would choose me for such a time as this with the craziness yeah. in our culture to write a story yeah. that shows the truth about law enforcement and about the fact that for the most part, they are, are literally public servants yeah. with a hero's heart. Exactly. And I love that you mm-hmm. were strong enough to say, you know what, even in the middle of all this, you know, we're going to do with this, you know, because, because uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to tackle that subject because of the time that we're in. And, right. you know, I believe, it's, I believe that, and again, we, none of us want police officers to flourish. None of us want that. Yeah, <laughs> you of know? course. And, they <clears throat> and we, we have to really be honest, like, <clears throat> especially in 2020, in any of these last recent years where people have cameras everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't believe there's one situation where the officer got up that morning, got dressed in their uniform, and thought, today will be the day I'm going to publicly in broad daylight shoot somebody. You know what I mean? Yep, like that's that's true. Just, that's, right. that's, they may as well mm-hmm. shoot themselves in the face because it's going to destroy their lives. And if they wanted to do mm-hmm. something sinister, you know, you step away from the police force and you could do it. They would know how to hide that. They're officers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it just, you know, I, I mean, you're just, what you're seeing is a lot of – amateur photographers who are catching things that look one way in many, many, in many of the cases, they're not that way. And we don't have all the facts and we don't listen to the actual stories that go in. The information's out there, but people aren't really looking at it. And so, you know, I mean, again, I just, I feel like, I feel like these sorts of, you know, whether it, and even if it's a tragic mistaken thing, um, 
you know, or if it's an officer who's jaded or who he's been on the force too long or he needs more training or whatever it might be, any of those situations are normal when you look at the cost of having to defend a society against criminal behavior. There, yeah. There's a cost to that, and there's going to be a, mar- a, you know, a margin of error, a margin of, um, you know, somebody who has lost it. They, they don't have mm-hmm. the heart to do the police work anymore. I, if it were me, if I were in charge, I would increase the budget of police officers everywhere so they had more training and more yeah, time off. They need more so training, have, too. They need yeah, and more I'm, training, and they really and more time off, yeah. They need, like, a, a psychiatrist or psychologist that would oversee regions that would be able to mm-hmm. talk to officers and see, are you okay? Can yeah. you do this job, or are you too angry? You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, anyway... Some of that comes up in this book and truly madly oh, well. deeply, but you know, it is, it is really a love story that where we look at the love of God leading us from a place of fear to a place of faith. And it's, it's going to be, oh, well. my, my readers already are saying, you know, the ones who've gotten a, an early look at this novel that truly madly mm-hmm. deeply is one of the favorite books they've ever read from oh, me. Well. So I'm, I'm super excited. And again, who would have known a year ago when I wrote this? <laughs> Police work that was not controversial, you know. But now, <laughs> yeah. um, for such a time as this. Yeah. So when Absolutely. you look back at all the books that you've written, which book that you've written means the most, and why? You know, it's funny. Books are kind of like kids, and you find with the more kids you have, you know, that you love them all, but they're different. They all are different, and you kind of find yourself yeah. cheering the loudest for the one who's on the stage or on the field at that moment. And so, like, you know, as I'm so excited that, you know, in just a few days, Truly Madly Deeply will be available to everyone. And I'm just so excited. Like, I could not, I'm I'm just bursting with joy that this novel that filled my heart and consumed me that I wrote a year ago is now finally going to be available for everyone to read. I'm so excited. So this is, this is right up there. But, you know, I I look back and there were books like One Tuesday Morning that Mm -hmm. I wrote about, um, the 9-11 attacks, and it's about two guys with an uncanny resemblance who don't know each other. They're not related, one from the West Coast, one from the East Coast, a firefighter from the FDNY, and a businessman from L.A., and they wind up in the same towers when the attacks go down, and only one comes out alive, but it's a case of mistaken identity. And in the process, I get to write about this man who becomes the family man and the father he never was, living in the shoes and in the home of a man who no longer is. It, it wow. is a different book. I feel like that book, God gave me that book on 9-11. Mm-hmm. I didn't write it for a year because I wanted to respect the whole situation. And it wasn't the, mm-hmm. it was the first time where I wasn't like, when the story came to me, I, I didn't have the reaction of, oh, this is going to be a great book. I, I wept. Yeah. I cried writing out the outline. Oh, wow. And it was my way of grieving. So one Tuesday morning mm-hmm. will always be special that way. So what would you say is your, was your hardest book to write? Um, the hardest probably, you know, at a time in my life in 2005, <clears throat> my publisher at the time asked me if I would write a book that was kind of the Christian answer to the Da Vinci Code. So the Da oh, Vinci wow. Code was really popular, and the, the, mm-hmm. the divinity of Christ was in question because in mm-hmm. the public setting, mm-hmm. this, this fictitious storyline made it look that Jesus, you know, had this crush or this relationship with Mary Magdalene. So my publisher came yeah. to me and said, love, we would love for you to write a Christian response to this through a novel. Talk about pressure. And so, I know, right? And, and so I said, well, are you wanting me to write a suspenseful book like The Da Vinci Code? 
And they said, yes, that's what we want. I said, because I usually write heartfelt books, like really yeah. deep emotional books. Mm-hmm. They said, no, we, know we want suspense. We think you can do it. So I, I wrote an outline for them. I said, I can do it. I've done true crime. I know I can do this. I gave them the outline, and they approved it. So I wrote the book, sent it in. They read it, and they contacted me. First time this has ever happened before or since. And they said, so sorry. We are going to have to reject this book. We can't. This is oh, not wow. the book we want. We, we're wrong, <laughs> and we think you should write this. should be an emotional book about Mary Magdalene and not the suspense book. But I'd already, I mean, again, I'm raising six kids. I don't have time to swim across the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, needlessly kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so I, I said, you know what, I'm going to have to say no. I just don't think I can rewrite it. I think I, we can just, you know, I don't, you don't need to pay me for it, but I just can't. I, I, my, I'm too emotionally, it's too much. That week, my brother, who was 39 at the time, died in his sleep. I, he went to bed and he didn't wake up. Wow. And wow. Um, I, it was just the emotional weight of my own life at that time was so hard, but I couldn't get away from the voice of God saying, you got to write it. You've got to write oh, a wow. modern day story of a Mary Magdalene and get into the heart of what it would be like to be, you know, beset by seven demons and to be set free from, you know, from that by Jesus. So I called the book divine and hmm. I wrote a, a story about Mary, a Mary Magdalene type character. And it stands to this day. It's unique. It's, the most graphic emotionally because she's been through so much. It's not graphic um, mm. physically. I don't go down those paths, but um, it is it is the book that people will write to me and say, you know, I was sex trafficked myself. Somebody might write to me and say, and this book helped to set me free. So they're big, big mm. people with very different stories that have been through a lot. They've been abused in some way or they've been through spousal abuse or whatever it might be, and they read Divine and they find Jesus, and it's just a beautiful thing. So, But it was the most difficult book, but I think it's because God was going to use it in such a big way, and the enemy didn't want it written. Oh, wow. Man, that's wow. powerful. <clears throat> now, who, who's been some of your, through the years, influences as in other authors that you've looked up to? Well, there was one book that really turned the corner for me on writing Christian fiction. Like, cause I thought Christian mm-hmm. fiction was, you know, prairie stories and just kind of sweet little yeah. stories. I didn't think it was going to be, I didn't mm-hmm. think it could be gritty in terms of storylines like I've been discussing. Um, mm-hmm. And I read Francine Rivers book, Redeeming Love and Redeeming Love. When I got to the last page, I literally dropped to my knees and I just asked God to forgive me for ever thinking that writing for him would wow. be second best. So that was a huge impact, Francine Rivers' book. And then Randy Alcorn has a few books, Deadline, Dominion, different ones. He's a, he writes fiction and nonfiction, but his novels especially really spoke to me about the kind of work that could be done in this genre. Um, mm-hmm. I love C.S. Lewis. I love John Grisham. You know, I, I read secular novels as well, um, like Mitch Album. I love him. He's a very sparse writer, but I love his storytelling. So, yeah, you've always got to have those you look to. Now, we didn't have John Grissom on our show, but we had his brother, Mark Grissom, on. Yes, oh, we wow. did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah he, he was pretty cool. And, and he said that when yeah. his brother started writing, he'd write stories that was of, uh, of um, being only child. And, and he said that the brothers and sisters would look at each other like, um, who are we? You know? Wow, that's so funny. 
I come <laughs> from a big family, was... and we have a big family. And so for uh, me, my my stories, my characters, and families all, are all almost all big families. Like you know, kind of similar to what I have. So that's really funny. He must have been trying to protect the innocent. <laughs> Might have been. There you go. Um, so. Yeah. You know, everybody's got to have goals and dreams still, no matter what level you are. And it's hard to imagine going too much bigger than you are right now. But what what is your future? What what do you see next going for you? You know, I, the, the Baxters are going to come out on TV. You're going to see them on some platform or some network, and I believe they're going to be so big. I think it will become the biggest show um, in, oh, wow. in, in its time. <clears throat> I feel like people are going to all know about them, and there's never been a show where it's a drama, a family drama, and big things are happening. There's affairs, there's the addiction, things going on. Uh, but the patriarch and matriarch, that's John and Elizabeth Baxter, are steadfast, and they'll pray for their kids. And while they're praying, in Jesus' name, you're able to see, you know, that's voiceover, but you're able to see what's happening as the daughter is finding out that the husband, her husband's having an affair. So you're, these, oh, wow. these are real storylines that people deal with and we've never mm-hmm. had a show like that where they're praying in Jesus name but we're also seeing the heartache of some bad choices that people are making so mm-hmm. I think that's going to be huge I think it's going to open up a floodgate of opportunity of other books to movies mm-hmm. and I'm ready I, I'm, I, it matters to me only to the glory of God yep. it's for him it's through yep. him and it's because of him so at this point I'm, you know, I've done this long enough, and I have all that my heart could ever desire in my family <laughs> and in my life. Um, but this is, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to take that on as and be the spokesperson and cheer it on and to let God get all the glory. I love that. And, you know, you were talking about how people were following God, but you were still making bad choices. I, you know, I can relate to that because, you know, even the first, you know, I gave my life to the Christ back in 97, but then it was wasn't long after that where I was back to living when always have and fight the addictions and all that. And then Sandy and I met in 02, we married. And, you know, for the first um, six months of our, of our marriage, everything was great. Cause I was one of them addicts to where if things were going good in my life, I wouldn't drink as much. If they weren't, mm-hmm. I would drink a heck of a lot. So it was like a roller coaster for me for, for 19 years. And it was um, all because your life is not always all bad. and It's not always all good. So it was like a roller coaster. And so um, six months after we married, my mom passed away and I didn't know how to handle that. And then I went over the deep end further than I've ever gone. But before I went there, you know, everybody talked about how there's no way God was part of our marriage and all that. I'll never forget the day that God, God, um, showed me he was as we were at my mom's funeral and I remember my grandma coming up to us and looking Sandy in the eyes thanking her for coming into my life she says she goes the the last six months of Chris's mom's life all she talked about is how this is the happiest she's ever been in years so Mm. I know in my heart that God brought us together not only to help heal me but to heal her heart in the last days of her life Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's, and that's really how he works. He's always weaving the pieces of our stories together with the pieces of people's stories around us. And, you know, there's nothing lost when it's come mm-hmm. to God. That's the Romans eight twenty eight that all things work to yep. the good for those who love him. 
And, and you know, again, that's, that's another theme that we see in Truly Madly Deeply, this new novel mm-hmm. of mine, is that even in the midst of, you know, Tommy has this sweet girlfriend who is, mm. works in ministry, and she gets a cancer diagnosis. And how do you walk through that, and why does God allow yeah. that? Those themes are discussed mm-hmm. and shared to me, and they're hard things to, to look at, but yet God is always at work. And even mm-hmm. in a story like Truly Madly Deeply, you'll close the cover at the end, and you'll say, you know, I think I can get through what I'm going through. Wow, I love that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so as we come to a close here, um, as you know, there's a lot of aspiring um, authors out there. Um, <clears throat> and especially in the Christian world, they, they don't know what, what route they're going. They're trying to grow. And, you know, and like we talked about at the beginning, it's tough to get that big break. And sometimes you go years. So what advice would you give an aspiring author to help guide them the next few years? Well, you know, only the Lord can open the doors for you, especially as a Christian author, but you want to keep getting better. So you want to get him, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking to start pretty, very soon we plan to, to start a, an online community of learning how to write stronger stories and how, how to be a, a, the novelist you want to be. But you need to read, read in the genre that you love to write about. And then you also need to have a critique group that will help to sharpen you and take you to the next level. You need to surround yourself with people who don't just say, oh, great, but who <laughs> tell you the hard things and, and mm-hmm. help you to really make your story stronger. I love that. Really great advice. Um, so as we end here, tell everybody how they can get your books and reach out to you if they want to. Yeah, the best way is my website, KarenKingsbury.com. And from there, you can connect with my newsletter. You can see the trailer for Truly Madly Deeply, my new book. And, you know, you can, you can connect with me on all the different platforms of social media as well. So, yeah, it's KarenKingsbury.com. And, you know, we thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show today, and we definitely look we forward did. to having you back down the road. That'd be great. I love video interviews, so that would be super fun. We'll do that. And thank you, Chris and Sandy, and congratulations on your success and what you're doing with your show. And, uh, yeah, we'll do this again. All right. We appreciate it. Talk talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.